0: Confession this morning. You can go ahead and grab that and uh, we'll begin uh, looking this morning. Uh, Jerry, can you grab the door, please? Thank you. Um, We're going to begin looking at an in-depth fashion at uh, paragraph number one of chapter number nine, uh, dealing with free will. Uh, last week was a bit of an introduction. Uh, this week will also be somewhat of an introduction, uh, only in the sense that we're going to continue to lay the foundation of what free will is and what free will isn't. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention a couple of uh, resources this morning, a couple of individuals as far who have, who have written thoughts on this. So all of these things this morning uh, certainly will not originate with me. They're not, uh, they're not new thoughts. They're not thoughts that I've come up with. They're thoughts of, of people in years past. But I want to look at that paragraph together, paragraph 1 of chapter 9. It says, God hath endowed the will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So we see a couple of words that are kind of important to set the the stage here for this paragraph. Uh, God has endowed uh, or endued. That word uh, literally means to furnish. So, God has indeed, or has endowed, furnished the will of man. So, we make a clear declaration by being confessional in our approach that we believe that God has, in fact, furnished man with a will. So, that would, dis, that would discount any idea that we do not believe in free will. Uh, We actually would take the approach that we believe in free will. Uh, And you'll notice there that as it continues, it tells us, with that natural liberty. All right, So uh, it's the will of man. It's by nature. There is liberty. And there is this idea that we have been given this power to choose. So he's endowed the will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice. That choice is based upon man's choice. Uh, It's not acting upon God's choice in this this, uh, particular context. It is acting upon the choice that God has given man and endowed man with that free will. Also, it is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So that idea, the necessity there, or the necessity of nature determined to do good or evil is a suggestion back that there is not any built-in compulsion to do evil or good. In other words, God is not forcing the hand. Um, That is one of those things that we really need to settle, because there is the idea that God is forcing everybody's hand. And so we would state at the very outset then when we talk about free will we are talking about something that god has in fact granted man free will now the threes there are only three scripture references for this particular paragraph that's matthew 17 12 james 1 14 and deuteronomy 30 19. so let's just look at all three of these and we'll take them in the order that they're given so we'll look at matthew 17 12 and again we're just taking uh, one particular verse that the confession is referencing and just want you to notice the, the principles and the, the will of man, the free will of man being exercised. So in Matthew 17, 12, uh, this is in the account of the transfiguration of Jesus. And Jesus is answering regarding Elijah. And he says, But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. That word listed that's listed in the King James Bible is the word pleased. So with regard to the coming of Elijah, they that knew him not have done unto him, unto Elijah, whatsoever they pleased. So Jesus himself is is declaring that there is a free will that man, and when Elijah came, they knew him not, and they did whatever they chose to do unto him. In other words, God didn't compel them to respond to Elijah the way that he did, or the way that they did, and he says the same thing. He says, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Man will choose to do as he or she pleases. They'll choose what they want to do when it comes to Jesus. Jesus. That's the context of what Paul was saying. What they did to Elijah, they're going to do to me. They're going to choose to do whatever is pleasing unto them. James 1.14. James 1.14. This is a familiar verse. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. This is verse 13. I am tempted. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So it is man's own lust that drives him to give in to that temptation. Okay, that's free will. He's, he, he or she is making the choice. They are drawn away of their own lust. It's not God pulling them away. It's not God making them pull away. They are by their own free will uh, doing, making those choices. And then all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, we're going to actually look at this passage in detail next week, um, as part of uh, kind of the part of the whole here. But uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse number 19. There, there are some, this chapter in Deuteronomy 30, when we look at it uh, and pull it a little bit more apart next week, is, is it describes God's mercy that was being given towards Israel. Um, and it talks about how he would show them mercy. Uh, he would talk about his commandments that were not hidden. And even in verses 15 through the end of the chapter, um, God's going to declare to them that Israel is going to choose for themselves whether or not they're going to do good or evil. And the, the confession references verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. And the length of days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Those are just three passages that the confession gives us that reference the reality of man being told to choose. Uh, Even Joshua, which is not mentioned here today, but Joshua even proclaimed, Choose you this day whom you will serve. So we have to understand that what paragraph 1 is giving us the definition of, and it's important that we get the the wording right, is that in paragraph 1 we're being given a description of the definition of human freedom. What is man free to do? where we're gonna talk a lot over, and I'm I am going to probably maybe even go painstakingly slow, because we're, we're gonna deal with subjects and topics such as freedom and liberty and inability and choice. Liberty and freedom, inability, you have all of these things. So paragraph one, we really have to define it as defining human freedom. What is man free to do? Okay, now based upon what paragraph one teaches us, we are understanding that man has been given, he's been endowed with the will, and he has been given a will that has a natural liberty and power that is able to act upon choice. That's human freedom. Now, when we talk about choices, every choice we make in life We make for some reason every choice we make, there's a, there's a reason why we chose that. In other words, we didn't just choose it randomly. We chose it. There's a reason why we chose our decisions are based upon what taking in all of the facts, all of the possibilities. We make a choice based upon what we think is the best decision. Those choices are based upon decisions that seem good at the moment. Now, all of us, I think, if we were just very transparent with each other, would say uh, we've all made bad decisions that at the time we were thinking through it, we thought we made the right choice. I've never met a perfect decision maker that's human because we all make decisions. Sometimes we make decisions because of circumstances that are dictating. We make it quickly. But we're convinced in our own mind that I've made the right choice. But everything we do is has a reason. Some things we decide to do out of just plain intense desire. That's what James is talking about. Tempted when you're drawn away by your own lust. Sometimes we make a sinful choice because of an intense desire to do wrong. An intense desire to sin. An intense desire to act according to our our human nature. Remember, the paragraph is defining human freedom. And that's why we have to keep these things separate and know what we're dealing with. There are things that we do mindlessly choose without really giving much consideration to them. There are some decisions we make, choices we make, just because it seems like the right thing to do at the moment, and we're quick and we're decisive, and we make the decision and we move on. We can't really point back to a conversation that we had. We can't really say, Hey, I did the pros and cons. I just made that choice because it seemed like the right thing. Sometimes those choices are right. Sometimes maybe they're not yet the desire, even though we may not know what truly our heart is telling us. And that's key. We still make a choice based upon what we desire. Now, we, again, we may not go through this in a painstaking way and go and, and struggle with what's this decision. But everything that we do as far as choice is being driven by something. Now, in essence, that's free will. Free will gives us the ability to choose according to our desires. We choose based upon what we desire. Now, again, I told you i, I referenced a, a couple of individuals. Uh, Jonathan Edwards has a work, and of course, Jonathan Edwards has lived years and years ago, but the work is entitled The Freedom of the Will. He defines it in that publication, he defines the will as that by which the mind chooses. So he, he simply says, here's what free will is. Free will is that, what, if that it's what the mind chooses to do. So I think it's very clear everybody in the room today has a free will. You have a mind to choose. Now that mind to choose, again, is going to be dictated by what acts upon it. But humanly speaking, every person that lives has a free will. Now you say, why do we have to really dogmatic, be dogmatic about that? Because there have been theologians throughout the years who have said that man has no free will at all. Now, the implications of having no free will whatsoever are are deep and actually very painful. That would suggest, contrary to paragraph one, that God has not endowed man with a will, but instead he has forced them to do all things. Now, that's the greatest misunderstanding. Uh, Even in God's sovereignty does not take away man's freedom of choice. It's not a robotic action. It's not a, I'm simply just doing it because God's making me do it. I'm choosing that based upon what my mind and my desires are driving me to do. So there's no doubt that as far as we as human beings, we do make choices. You're choosing today, as we've mentioned, you're choosing to be here. You're choosing to listen today. You're choosing to not listen, whatever the case is. Um, When the idea of freedom, and again, this is a buzzword in our society today, the idea of freedom is added, it really becomes complicated. So my mind has this freedom to choose. Freedom to do what? What do I have freedom to do? And that's when we start coming into this idea of what the definition of human freedom actually is. So we have this idea that the will is free to choose whatever it desires, all right? So whatever man desires, we're not going to deny that. I I can choose right now to do whatever I want to do, and there's not going to be a, a divine intervention that's going to prevent me from doing that. I'm going to choose to do it. If I chose to walk down off of the pulpit and go home right now, I would have total freedom to do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything compelling me and making me stay. So I have the freedom that to do whatever I want to do, whatever I desire. I have the freedom, humanly speaking, to walk out the door and to commit a crime. Now, I'm going to pay for that crime, but I have the freedom to do it. I have the freedom to choose to do wrong or to do good. So we have to come to the understanding when we talk about the freedom of the will. Um, even a person who, who denies the idea of free will would not argue that we, every person has, a desire, has the freedom to do whatever they desire to do. So whether or not you believe in free will or you believe there is no free will, nobody is going to come to the conclusion and say, I have no freedom at all. I mean, you would, you would have to be creating some kind of an environment that just can't be possible. But what does it mean with regard to salvation? Okay, what does it mean? So we have really, you have two camps. Now, the words that are used are words that mankind has given in order to kind of define the two. Uh, you have the Calvinistic thinking and you have the Arminian thinking. Now, again, those are terms that are given. based on people's names who did not invent the way of thinking. They simply took what was already in place and we ascribe it to them as being their theology. Arminian comes from Joseph Arminius. And the idea was was that it was in response, in some sense, to the, the theology of John Calvin. John Calvin did not create the theology of what's known as Reformed theology or Calvinistic thinking. It's a name that's been given in order to define two camps. The Arminian camp is the camp that would would dispute much of what we're saying today. However, I would not think that it's in the best interest of really anybody to say, you're either a Calvinist or you're an Arminian. You You are either a believer in the idea of free will, that man has a free will, or he doesn't have a free will. However, what gets mingled is the Arminian camp believes that the Calvinists doesn't believe that man has free will at all. And that is the error. That's the error. Because it's not not an either-or. It's it's actually fascinating. If you really want to do a fascinating study, just look up uh, the, the theology of Joseph Arminius and look up the theology of John Calvin and read the points and find out if they're just... They're, they're, it's, it's banter back and forth. It's one is saying this and the other one's refuting the other. But the theology has, was already there before they determined it. Okay? So when, with regard to salvation, in order to use just these two camps in order for us to understand where we're coming from, the Arminian belief believes that some desire to... Rep- some people have the desire to repent and be saved. Okay, so now the problem is you have others who desire to flee from God and reap eternal damnation. So their position is this. Some desire God and some do not desire God. Now, why different people in a free will would have this idea of what different desires are, we don't really know exactly why they believe that. But they're basically saying everybody has in front of them this whole entire opportunity to either desire God to repent and be saved, or I desire eternal damnation. But whichever way I choose, okay, it's all on me. Now again, this is with regard to salvation. I told you we're going to have we've got a lot of layers to peel back over the next few weeks. Now the Calvinistic perspective holds that all human beings. Okay, now here's listen to the difference. All human beings desire to flee from God unless and until the Holy Spirit performs the work of regeneration. So the Arminian says some desire to be saved, others others want damnation. The Calvinistic or Reformed theology position would be that all men apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, would desire to flee from God. Now what's the key in those two positions? One is centered on what man does. The second one is, is centered on what God does. So in the reformed position, it takes God doing a work in an individual to even make them desire to come to God. Okay, is that, is that at least partially clear of the difference? That's really the difference. Now, what we cannot say is that that means that the Reformed or Calvinistic position means man has no free will. Again, this is like peeling an onion. It is not this entirety the way it's given, yet that's how it's portrayed. If you told people you went to a Reformed Baptist church of some sort, they're going to tell you, oh, you believe in no free will. It's almost a given. That's exactly what they're going to say. You believe that man has no choice in the matter because that's just the easy man. Let me say it. It's the lazy way out. It's the lazy way because that's not what the Bible would actually come to the conclusion of. Now, we in a sense can be Uh, You can become very, very self-absorbed by that idea. And the the thought is, is that um, this makes God some kind of a mean, angry God. And God would never do that. God would never do what? God would never just damn somebody just randomly. God would never just do these things. God's giving man this free will. So you have to go from this point on and remember that we are not free will deniers, but we would differ with an Arminian from the standpoint that we do believe that unless God acts upon an individual, no person out there given the choice to just simply say, I want God or I want hell is just going to be the few that say, I want God and others are saying, I want hell. Now, there are people who believe, they say, I'd rather have that position. I'd rather my eternal destiny be determined by me than be determined by God. Again, that's a lazy understanding of the doctrine. Okay, now we're not even going to get much, we're not going to get much deeper than that today, okay? So there's going to be questions that are going to be like, what about this, what about this? They're all going to be there, but I just want us to get that principle. Kind of setting these two things so that we understand how they work together. Because in in the idea of regeneration, okay, remember we're defining human freedom and human will, in regeneration, our our desires are changed, okay, so that we freely repent of our own volition. And again, I can hear it already. (laughs) How does God choose who gets this? Again, that's kind of the lazy way out because we're just simply trying to understand perspective from what sounds logical to us and what God must be doing. Now, the problem is, is our heart, our heart is deceitful. We don't take these verses serious enough about how deceptive the heart actually is. Uh, in, In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah is writing about the sin of Judah. In the first six verses, he writes about what man trusts in. And in verse 5 of that chapter, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. What in the world is Jeremiah saying? What Jeremiah is saying, he is saying, cursed is the man who trusts in his own righteousness or in his own strength. That's the bottom line of what Jeremiah is talking about because the sin of Judah had been that they were trying to make their own way. They were trying to make their own way of righteousness. They were trying to make their own way of approval with God. And Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, says, here's what God says about that. He says, cursed is the person that trusts in man. Trust in man for what? Truly anything, but especially in my own righteousness. If I can act upon with no action upon me, in other words, if I can be one of those ones who chooses God for myself without any action of regeneration on me, then I make myself my own way of righteousness. Jeremiah goes on and says, blessed in verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now he compares the two. In verse 6 he says, The person who trusts in in man shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. So he contrasts him with the blessed man. And he said, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now, verse number nine is really in the purest sense In context, back to verse number five about the heart that departs from the Lord. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, here's the reality of some of our Christian cliches that happen all the time. If I know my own heart, I'm making the right decision. Or we falsely tell someone that we're trying to counsel, and we call it scriptural counsel, and we say, well, just follow your heart. That is the worst counsel you can give a person. The problem is, because the heart is deceitful, you don't know your own heart. So how can we tell someone else to follow their heart? That's what deception is. So deception may tell me one thing, but yet the truth is the opposite. He ends it with a question. He says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, he's making a declaration here because he's going he's to basically answer the question of who can know it in verse 9 when he, he, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins and get even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So it is impossible for us to know our own heart. It's impossible for us to know truly what we will do in the hour of temptation. Like you could say today, if this happens to me, if this circumstance comes up, I know what I'll do. And I would submit to you that your heart will trick you into thinking, I know what I'll do, and when the day of temptation comes, you'll be nowhere near doing that. This is one of those verses we just don't take serious enough. Man has tried for, for decades to try to pull this apart and say, what was God really talking about? What, what was God really What did He really mean? He means what he said. And so whatever wickedness is in the heart, God sees it. Notice it doesn't talk about God being deceived by our heart. It talks about us being deceived by our own heart. You could actually come to God with the wrong motive. And he would know it. Would, would, that be, would that be biblically accurate? Is it possible that people have come to God with the wrong motives and actually convinced themselves that my motives are right, my motives are pure, and God's going to accept my motives? There's no doubt in my mind. I've been guilty of that myself, where I've tried to convince God that what I'm doing is right. But remember, the heart is deceptive. So a man that trusts in his own heart is a man who is cursed because that man is trusting in his own strength and his own righteousness. Now again, it's not a a matter that he doesn't have any ability to make these choices. We've already established that fact. So what begins to happen is even in reality, what happens to us is our will in regeneration is changed. But even though our will has been changed, we are still free to do whatever we want to do. Okay, my, my, my desires, my desires may change, but I still have free will to do and to choose whatever I want to do. However, what we cannot do where human freedom ends is we do not have the ability in our our own strength to choose or select our nature. Go all the way back to the Old Testament story of can, can the leopard change his spots? No, he can't change his own spots and the man can't change his own nature. I can't change from an unspiritual man to a spiritual man. I can't change from an unregenerate to a regenerate. I cannot simply get up in the morning and declare, from this day forward, I declare my nature good, and I will no longer desire evil, I will only desire good. That's where freedom stops. (laughs) People, when you talk about freedoms, you start getting into, into people's business. Because people say, I have total freedom in everything. Every bit of freedom has a stopping point. Even our human freedoms in this world have a stopping point. I have a freedom to choose what I'll do with the life that I've been given. But I also have stops where, yes, I can do it, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences, there's not going to be a punishment, there's not going to be something as a result that happens. So we're talking about that what man cannot do is he can't change his nature. But he certainly has the ability to to choose. Now this goes all the way back to the fall. So what happened? What happened in the fall when, sin, when, when Adam and Eve fell, the human will was still left intact. The, the will was not taken away from Adam and Eve. And that's what you'd have to come to. You would have to have the opinion that if, if, if what an Armenian would say about someone who believes Reformed theology, you have to suggest that what we believe is that Adam and Eve lost their will during the fall. That's not what we believe. Their will is still intact to the point that they still have the faculty of being able to choose. Adam and Eve, even after the choice to eat the fruit, still had the freedom to choose after the fall. But we don't realize that because of that sin nature and because it's still there, our minds are darkened by sin. And apart from God working, our desires are always going to be led by wicked impulses. Because only if you can change your nature can you change the outcome. So if I believe in 100% free will in the sense of what like the Arminian believes, then I have to believe that I can also change my own nature. Okay, that's, a, that's heavy stuff. Are we, are we near the same page? <laughs> okay, so it goes back to nature. It goes back to the conversation last week about people can do good things, but is it spiritually good? Okay, giving all of your money away to charity is good, but if it's not from a regenerate heart, it's not spiritually good. It's changing the nature. So what we believe is Mansell has a free will, but his nature has been changed. So that now his nature is choosing that which is good. But he wouldn't choose that unless his nature had been regenerated to choose good. So who are we giving all the glory to? We're giving all the glory to God for the changing of our wicked nature. But still, you have just as much freedom to choose as you ever had. Nobody would stop you from, you can choose to sin today. That's human freedom. We make, you know, there's been, again, this is for another day, there's a difference between freedom and liberty. We interchange them often. We we throw words around in our society and we say, well, I have liberty and I have freedom. And we're going to talk about that going forward, that there are differences in this. So, something, because of sin, the unregenerate man can still think, he can still choose, and he can still act. But the problem is, is sin darkens or removes his desire for God. So, back to the free will argument, the total free will argument from the Arminian perspective would mean that that means that my sin for that individual I don't see it quite as bad. I see it that I actually have the ability to recognize this on my own, that I'm really kind of a sinner, and yet I'm going to go ahead and flee to God. So that suggests man has to kind of reform himself a little bit to get to the point where he says, I reform myself enough to desire God, instead of God reforming him. It's all about where the action starts. Does the action start with man? Or does the action start with God? That's really the difference between the Arminian and the Calvinistic perspective. The action of regeneration is it God's work or man's work? Because regeneration changes the nature. God can't change the God only changes the nature, man doesn't change the nature. It all goes back to the nature. Not free will, freedom to choose, my nature. That's the one thing, that's where human freedom stops. I can choose whatever I want, but I can't change my nature. So the thoughts before regeneration, the thoughts and desires of our heart are only evil continuously. That's not my words. That's Genesis 6, 5. The imaginations of man was evil continuously. Why we think Genesis 6 was for a different people, it's still humans. Every imagination of their heart was evil continuously. Somehow, when we come to the doctrine of salvation in the New Testament, we think man has gotten a little bit better since then. Now again, I'm opening up a lot of wor- can of worms today, but now you've got to go back and start talking about, okay, so classic dispensationalism brings along the idea that man is progressively getting better, so that by the time we get to New Testament, man now has this ability to choose all for himself, even though man was evil, conti- evil continuously back in Genesis 6. Now, there's, there are variants of what dispensationalism is. So when I say that, you have a lot of different variants on that. Some that are different compared to what, what, where their stance is on salvation. Some of the references would be works. Part of Old Testament was works or their own righteousness. So again, that's for another day. But the freedom of our will, we scream about wanting to have the freedom of our will, but because we can still choose according to our desires, because of that freedom, the choice to sin is on us, and we are now accountable to the judgment of God. Right? We want the freedom, but your freedom to choose... And you can choose sin, so if man has judgment upon himself, he chooses that. We all say we want it, but now go back to the Arminian and say, okay, do you want the free will completely to determine the judgment of God? Or does man is man subservient to God and God is the one that is, must change this nature? Augustine said that we still have free will, but we have lost our liberty. The liberty of which the Bible talks about is the freedom or the power to choose Christ as our own. He goes on to say, but until our heart is changed by the Spirit, we have no desire for Christ. Without that desire, we never will choose Him. God must awaken our soul and give us a desire for Christ before we will ever be inclined to choose Him. So, is it biblically accurate to say that God chose us? Yes. But is it also accurate to say that in response we chose Him? The answer is yes. You see, man still is responsible to cry out to God. Now, again, the, the insult that's lobbed across the fence line is that God, God just simply chose you and there's nothing you can do about it. And in essence, what's happening is you have the reality that because of the change that God has made in you, man still was responsible to choose Christ for himself. Now, again, we're going down a lot of rabbit trails. But you've got to keep in mind that it's all about what we desire according to our nature. What we choose according to our nature. Our free will to choose is based upon what our nature is. A unregenerate sinner will choose sin. A regenerated saint will choose Christ. He'll desire Christ in his life. He'll desire to walk in holiness. I'm going to talk about that in the worship service this morning. God, God is, we are His workmanship. So you have all of these All of these theological ideas that are going around, and they've all got a name. We've named them because it helps us categorize them. It helps us say, well, this is that. So the argument comes down to, well, if you don't believe in free will, you're Reformed. If you believe in free will, you're Arminian. And that's just not, that's not the basis of the dividing line. Because it's only taking into account one little aspect of the whole. Now again, I told you last week, I would have been 100%, not that many years ago, in the free will Arminian camp, 100% lock, stock, and barrel, completely. But I could not, I could not get around some of these truths that began to, began to read them and start looking at this, and then it points you back to nature, points you back to the nature of man. And you cannot find a place anywhere in scripture where man changes his own nature, Jonathan Edwards, and again, in that, his work, The Freedom of the Will, says that a fallen, as fallen human beings, we retain our natural freedom, which is the power to act according to our desires, but we lose moral freedom. Moral freedom includes the disposition, inclination, and desire of the soul toward righteousness. It is this inclination that was lost in the fall. So... He's suggesting that we're not inclined to God because that inclination was lost in the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect environment. And there was still a choice that was made in that. And because of that fall, that inclination, the desire of the soul. Every choice I make is determined by something. There's a reason for it. There's a desire behind it. Now, there's a a teaching out there that would also say, okay, you, you telling us today that every choice I make is determined by something, you must be a determinist, or you believe in determinism. Determinism, in its purest definition, teaches that all of our actions are completely controlled by something external to us, making us do what we do not want to do. We're not determinists. Determinist would mean that we're coerced and forced, which is the exact opposite of freedom, which is what paragraph one is telling us. It's not not forced. God's not forcing you against your will. Now you've got questions rolling in your head and so do I. That's what happens because you start seeing all this and we start beginning to trust what, what this doesn't seem right to me. My heart's telling me something else. So how is it possible for our choices to be determined but not coerced? They're determined by what's within us. They're determined by our nature. We go all the way back to if the nature has to be changed first, the nature is changed by God. So God changes the nature. In essence, if he changes the nature, he changes the desires. Our desires change. It's not determinism that says everything is controlled against our will. You are not saved against your will today in any way, shape, or form. That's not what the people on the other side of the fence believe about you. The other people on the other side of the fence believe you were forced into salvation and you had no choice in the matter. Now that would be classic determinism. That would be, I didn't have any choice in this whatsoever. Again, I think it came up on Wednesday night, the meeting point of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They were trying to lob, they were trying to lob that at me on Wednesday night, and I said, boy, that's a big one, isn't it? That's, that's the ultimate question. Can both, be, can both be right? Can both be true? Is God truly sovereign and is man truly responsible? The answer is absolutely yes. Man is, man is responsible of repentance. He is responsible to believe. So, to be sure, in order for us to choose Christ, God has to change the heart. That's precisely what regeneration does. He changes our heart for us. That gives all glory to God in the regenerating work. He simply gives us a desire for Christ that we would never have had before. We wouldn't have had it had He not done the work in our heart. The other choice would, or the other, the other camp would say, I chose Christ for myself alone. I was given the option, and I just simply chose Christ. I looked at the options, I made the, remember, every choice is determined by something. So if every choice is determined by something, then that determination means that you are able to discern your own heart, your own wickedness, your own sin, be able to categorize it, say, this is how bad I am, I'm going to make a decision now, I'm going to choose Christ. See, depravity would tell us that man is, man is not as wicked as he could be, okay? When we talk about total depravity, again, that's, those are words that were used to indicate, to try to give people a system of learning. It, 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 it's not Calvin's, it is not Calvin's creation. We've got to get beyond that. This is not Calvin. He didn't create this. He just, he made an acrostic, so that people would understand these things. But if you truly dig into them, you truly start thinking about the realities of what's happening here. All of those things were intended to just point that the author of man's salvation is God and that man cannot do in his own heart what only God can do, which is change that heart. So when we choose Christ, we are choosing him simply out of the desire that is within us. You truly had a desire for Christ when you got saved and you truly chose him. The only difference is instead of changing your own spots, he changed your spots for you. Some of you have given shared testimonies will be like when it when the light comes on of spiritual things, it comes on and it's, it, it's, not, it's not this full understanding necessarily but the light comes on and it's like I never understood and never saw that before I did choose Christ but why did I choose him simply because my desire was changed because my nature was changed I now have a nature that's inclined I want to, I want to choose him we freely choose him because we want to Folks, that's the beauty of grace. Somehow in this mysterious way that God works, we still chose him for ourselves, And that's why you're still responsible. So a, a person who is an unbeliever at this moment, who sits under the preaching and teaching of the word, who hears the command to repent and believe, has a responsibility to repent of their sins and believe on Christ. Now again, I know, but what about this? What about this? What about this? All those are very real questions. But God would not give us these things if those things were not in fact the truth. So what we're going to talk about next week is we're going to kind of touch on paragraph two, um, but we're going to talk even still a little bit more about what's happening here in paragraph one because they kind of go together. Um, paragraph two uh, talks about how man was created in innocency, but he was a changeable being. Remember, that, that, that idea of God being unchanging, especially when we compare it with man, really does matter. Okay? So I have given us a lot to chew on this morning. Okay? And there are things that we're just not going to have the answers to yet, but I hope this will at least get us started in that direction. Okay, All right, well, let's go ahead and we'll take a few minutes.